Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. On May 11th, I got some devastating news. My friend Mike had tragically and unexpectedly passed away. Mike was feeling sick, and his wife Tiffany, this was right at the beginning of COVID, took him and dropped him off at the ER. When he was admitted, Mike's organs quickly began shutting down, and he passed away of acute pancreatitis. Uh, Tiffany, when she dropped Mike off that day at the hospital, could have never imagined she would never see her husband again. I got to know Mike and Tiffany. They were part of a church uh, I was involved in for 18 years in Madison, Wisconsin. They were part of our social network and part of our church, and we launched ministries together. Mike was one of those guys that was great at everything. He was a great athlete, great musician, great husband, great dad, great dude. And Mike was young and vivacious. He was a triathlete. And it was shocking to hear the news because we don't just expect someone that young to just up and die. Mike leaves behind Tiffany, his wife, and two children, uh, Paige and August. And uh, I touched base with Tiffany the other day, and it's been a really, really difficult year, as you can imagine. And I've been praying for them. And now that you see their picture, hear a little bit of their story, I told her that our church would be praying for them. And I invite you to do that. Even right now, uh, you're watching a lot, you could pause it mute it, step away, and just pray a blessing around this, this family that's, that's grappling with grief. When I heard the news and, and I was grieving along with, with Tiffany and all the friends and family of Mike, I just thought, man, if, if there was ever a reminder of how short life is, uh, death is coming. Death is coming for all of us sooner rather than later. Maybe that's a really depressing way to start an Easter message. I get that. But on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the resurrection. And you cannot talk about the resurrection unless you talk about death. We're in the eighth week of a series we've been calling Encountering Jesus, the study of the gospel of John. And John's gospel, the purpose of his gospel, is that we would know Jesus so we could trust Jesus so that we could find life in his name. And to equip his readers to do that, John gives us these vivid images or metaphors of Jesus that are sprinkled throughout his gospel. And each week we've been looking at a different uh, metaphor or image of Jesus. We had Jesus the word, Jesus the temple, Jesus the well, Jesus the light, Jesus the bread, Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the vine, image after image after image. And we can't capture who Jesus is just through one image. We have to look at Jesus through the kaleidoscope of images. And today we're looking at this image of Jesus as the resurrection, appropriately so on Easter Sunday. Before we hear our passage uh, for today from John 11, I want to give a little context for what's going to be read. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. He's nearing that time frame where he'll soon be put to death. Uh, he is with the disciples on a little kind of hiding out, uh, laying low on the other side of of the Jordan. And the action in the scene we'll hear today happens in a little town called Bethany, which is located a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. Jesus spent a lot of time 
in Bethany. He likely spent the last week of his life in Bethany. And in Bethany were three of our key characters from our story, Martha, Mary, and one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus. So we'll get to know these characters in just a minute when we, when we read these stories. We think actually they were perhaps even extended family of Jesus. So in Bethany, Lazarus starts feeling sick. Uh, his health begins to fail. And Martha, who is the oldest sister, sends word to Jesus, sends a messenger running to Jesus to let him know. She knows the power of Jesus. They've experienced it firsthand to heal. And the messenger arrives and tells Jesus, and Jesus says, thanks for letting me know, and then doesn't do anything, decides to wait, which when we're reading the story seems heartless, but Jesus has a bigger plan. We also have to keep in mind, probably by the time the messenger arrived to tell Jesus the news, Lazarus had already passed away, and Jesus likely knew that. It's a dangerous time for Jesus to come out of hiding and head that close to Jerusalem. Uh, back in the previous fall at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus had gotten the religious leaders all riled up. They threatened to kill him. The crowd threatened to stone him. A little while later at the Feast of Hanukkah in the winter, the same thing occurred. So the scene we're going to hear is sometime between the winter Hanukkah feast and the spring when Jesus is crucified. Things are heating up. The officials are looking for him. And Jesus is wise because it's not his time yet to not go near Jerusalem. I tend to stay away from places where I might get stoned as well. Jesus waits a couple days and then he says, we're going to go. Now's the time. We're going to head to Bethany. And the disciples had been experiencing this rising tension and lack of safety along with Jesus. Jesus choosing to go to Lazarus to try to help his friend literally is putting his life on the line and the life of the disciples. Thomas kind of speaks for the group in the scene and says, okay, let's go so that we can die with him. Thomas is one of those got a glass half empty kind of guys. But discredit, they all pack up and they head to Bethany right into the jaws of danger. So that's where this, we pick up the scene, and uh, Emily will be reading our scripture today. Emily, take it away. John eleven seventeen through 44. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did not I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Emily. So Jesus uh, arrives and it uh, is, we're told, John tells us, it's now been the fourth day since Lazarus died. And we can read over these details, but this would be in a very important detail to a Jewish reader. Uh, Jewish custom believed that, that once you put the body in the tomb, the soul hovered around the body for three days until it officially departed, until you really, really were dead. You were kind of dead and then you're really dead after three days. So this detail that it's the fourth day tells us that Lazarus, according to the Jewish mindset, is really, really dead. And Jesus wanted to leave no doubt. That's likely why he waited. So he comes into the scene, and it's a, it's, it's a scene of chaos. Picture it with me. Uh, there's, uh, we think that it's a wealthy family, so there's friends and there's families and their cousins that have been coming around. Uh, according to Jewish custom, when someone passed away, you had to hire at a minimum two flute players to kind of play mournful music and one professional wailing woman. Uh, true, true. So they probably had multiple wailing women and flute players and musicians, kind of dirgy music. And people emoted back then at funerals. It was a very uh, outward expression of grief. So Jesus is coming in, and anywhere that Jesus goes at this point, eyes are on him. So here comes Jesus and his disciples entering Bethany, and it's a scene of chaos. It's a scene of mourning. And then Martha sees him, and she is agitated because she has sent for him. And he didn't come, so she, she makes a beeline towards him and seeks him out and essentially is like, why didn't you come? You could have made a difference. What in the world? I thought you loved my brother. That's the nature of the interaction. 
And Jesus tells him that, Jesus tells her rather that Lazarus will rise again. And she interprets that through the Jewish mindset that, that there will be a resurrection one day. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Lazarus is going to rise again today, like right now. And then he gives this line, he steps into this metaphor, and this is the idea we're going to rally around today. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? And in the passage, she's like, yeah, but, you know, she's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of believe it, but I'm skeptical too. So then the other sister, Mary, comes and Mary falls in front of Jesus, mourning and sad. It's totally understandable. And the text tells us, John tells us that Jesus is deeply moved. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you want to memorize one, this is your verse, Jesus wept. And that word in the Greek isn't like a soft, muffled crying. It's a loud crying. Jesus is a sloppy mess. He's emoting. He's weeping. He deeply loved. We're told three times in the passage how much he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So now it's game time. Jesus wants to know where Lazarus is buried. Uh, there'll be a picture that will come up of the traditional site of Lazarus's tomb. Uh, could be, we're not totally sure, but it's probably something like this. And you would carve tombs out of, out of rock, out of the limestone. There would usually be 10 to 15 square feet, and there'd be uh, canals where you could put the body. So you would take the body and you would lay it on a bench and you would prepare it and then you would set it in there for the three days. Kind of like, well, maybe the soul will re-enter. Maybe there'll be some kind of, you know, resurrection. That was custom. And then somebody would come in and check on the body. And, and if indeed they were still dead, they would put the body in one of the canals and then a year later come back and collect the bones and put the bones in, in a special box, a burial box. So Lazarus has been in there for now the, the, the fourth day, so he's at the point where they're, they're going to probably go back in very soon and put him in the canal, but here's Jesus. So uh, Jesus arrives, and he looks at the tomb, and again we're told, same phrase, that Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit. And he says, okay, remove, remove the stone, and immediately I'm picturing the scene, Martha you know, she holds her nose. <laughs> She's getting ready for the smell. Martha, as the eldest, was probably the one that maybe even that day had gone in to check, and the smell was already bad. So she's expecting this, this smell to emanate from the tomb once it's open. So the tomb is opened and no smell. It's actually all you can smell are the spices. So she kind of takes her, her hand away from her nose, is like, okay, what's, what, what's going on here? And then uh, Jesus looks at her again and tells her to believe. He, he saw the nose thing. He's like, you need to believe. And then Jesus prays, and he's praying to his father. You can picture people leaning in to try to hear what he's saying. What would he be saying? And then all eyes are on Jesus. And if you're with me now, picture the scene. We can do this. We can picture the scene of the tomb and Lazarus and the musicians and the wailing family and the hired wailing people and this whole scene, all eyes are on Jesus. All eyes are on the tomb. What is going on? And then Jesus, in a very loud voice, a voice that seemed to come from another world, says, Lazarus, come out! And scholars have said that it's good that he said, Lazarus, come out, because if he just said come out, there could be lots of bodies coming out. And then, as I picture the scene, there's just quiet. And you, you couldn't hear a pin drop. No more music, no more wailing. All eyes are on the tomb. And then we know who emerges. 
Lazarus emerges and he's kind of wobbling and waddling his way out. That's because he's wrapped head to toe in burial cloth. The custom back then was to lay the body down and double it up and then bind the feet and bind the arms and bind the head. So imagine Lazarus waking from death, hearing Jesus call his name, and he can't even probably really see, try to make his way up the stairs and out the tube. He's really disoriented and probably also really happy. When I was a youth pastor, I used to play the game uh, with the kids where you wrap up each other in toilet paper like your mummies. And it was you know, kind of a contest who could do it the quickest, who could break out. And the, and the most enjoyable part of that game is at the end, we'd tell everybody, break out. <laughs> so, and so this is the scene. You know, he waddles out, and Jesus tells some men, some women perhaps around, like, free him. <laughs> free him from his grave clothes. And I just picture, you know, the head popping out and this mischievous grin on Lazarus's face, this, this gleam in his eye. Uh, he had never felt better. I mean, you talk about the ultimate power now. And I wonder who gave him that first hug. I bet I, bet I can guess. And I just picture Jesus running to him and picking him up and twirling him and bear hugging him and falling on the ground. And then they, everybody piles on. The disciples are like, it's, let's pile on. It's like a first century mosh pit. And then the very musicians who had been hired to play a funeral are now playing for a resurrection. That is, uh, that's quite the gig. I have some bad news for you this Easter Sunday, and then we'll get to good news. I like to share bad news first. The bad news is today, every one of you, myself included, is a day closer to death. Every single one of you. That's just the reality. I did some research because I like to do research to back that up, and I found the statistic. Let me make sure I get it right here. One out of every one person is going to die. Yeah, so it's difficult math. I know. Let me try to go over it again. One out of every one person is going to die. That's you. That's me. The Western modern mindset, we struggle with that. I just, as many of you know, turned 50 this week. I feel like I was a teenager yesterday. It just, life goes like this. The scriptures say our life is like a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. Some in our world, those who are a lot smarter than me and powerful and have wealth are trying to put that off. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture that will come up on your screen of a Time magazine cover, and it reads, this baby could live to be 142 years old. This is a whole thing called biohacking, and it's led by the tech gurus in Silicon Valley, and they feel like they can use their skills to biohack. They can hack everything else. Well, let's hack the body so it can live to be long, to, to be very, very old. Calico Company was started by the Google folks. That's one entity trying to hack the body. Uh, there's a Russian multimillionaire that wants to try to uh, discover immortality by the year 2045. And then Larry Ellison, founder of Oracle, one of the richest men in the world, he's devoted $40 million uh, a year in the quest to seek immortality. He says, he's been quoted to say that death makes him angry. Here's the deal, we can, we can try and maybe they'll find ways to make life longer, but in the end, we will all die. Every single one of us. In fact, this last year, the life expectancy in America has actually lessened. We're not even going in the right direction. So at home, I want you to practice this. Maybe you're watching alone. Um, so maybe this will be a weird thing to do alone. Maybe you're watching with other people. But I want you to say this out loud. I am going to die. So go ahead and say that. Say, I am going to die. 
Well, thanks for uh, coming to Easter. We're going to pray. And I'm just kidding. That would be the worst Easter message ever. That's the bad news. But there is good news. The good news is God has, has done something about it. I still remember my very first funeral. They, they put me as a young pastor with a, a, a veteran pastor because they just knew I would, I would mess it up. And it was a tough one. Um, it, it was a, a, a teenage boy. Uh, his family had come from Russia. They hadn't been there that long who had tragically passed away. And I remember like yesterday standing there and the family came in. The it was an open coffin and the mother came in and just lost it and just started beating on the chest of her son so hard that his body, each time she would hit him, would, would, would bounce up in the coffin. I was just distraught. I didn't know what I should do. And I went, I stepped forward to stop her and this veteran pastor stopped me. And he knew better than I did. And he knew that what she was doing was totally appropriate. She was distraught. She was sad and, and she was angry. This was a godly response because death makes God angry. We see this on vivid display in this passage. Twice, we're told that Jesus was deeply moved, deeply moved. In the Greek, we miss the power of this word. It means that Jesus was moved with anger or had indignant displeasure. It's the same term that's used for the snort of a war horse, the angry snort of a war horse. John is telling us when Jesus was confronted with the death of Lazarus, his friend, he was angry and he tells us twice so we don't miss it. Death makes God angry. It's not how it's supposed to be. We were created for life. How did it get this way? Well, as we look at the story of scripture, Paul tells us the wages of sin is death, sin, going our own way, not listening to God, kind of untethering ourselves from the life source that is God, which we all participate in. The consequences of that is spiritual death, and one of the consequences of spiritual death is, is physical death. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. God created us for life. So the story that we're all part of, the good news story, is that that makes God angry. And God didn't let that be. God did something about it. And that's the story. Jesus put on flesh, God incarnate, came, <clears throat> bore my sin, bore your sin, bore the sins of the world to break the power of sin and death on the cross and rise again. God is not angry at you. He's not angry at me. God is angry at sin. God is angry at death because that's not the way it's supposed to be. That should comfort us in a year where in my lifetime, I've never been confronted with more death. It seems like death is everywhere. My mom is battling a very serious form of cancer. We have other family members that are battling cancer. Everywhere I look, there's death, death, death. And it comforts me in the midst of that to know that we follow Jesus, who is deeply saddened by death, angered by death, and actually is doing something about death. So there's bad news and then there's incredibly good news. Here's the good news. Death does not have the final word. Easter Sunday is that reminder. That's what we're celebrating today, that death does not have the final word. That as prophesied, God said he'd come and fix it and make things right, and he did. He put on flesh, entered the world of Jesus, hung on a cross, bore and broke the power of sin and death, and rose again from the, the grave, declaring victory forever 
over death. That's when Jesus says he turns to Martha. He tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He's stepping into that role. Not only did Jesus have the power to raise the dead, Jesus is like, yes, I have that. That's on full display in raising Lazarus, but I am the resurrection. I, I, I am the life. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, death is now transformed into a doorway of life. Or as C.S. Lewis said in the last book, his six books on Narnia, he said that death is not the end of the story, but the beginning of the story, and that each chapter is better than the one before. Uh, Because of Jesus, uh, the tombs are transformed into portals or passageways of life. Because of Jesus, uh, our tears have an expiration date. Because of Jesus, as the apostle Paul said, I love this phrase, death is now swallowed up by life. Because of Jesus, death does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. As many of you know, evangelist Luis Palau, uh, his his headquarters are here in Portland, uh, passed away uh, recently. Luis, if you're not familiar with him, he's called the Billy Graham of Latin America. He heard the gospel in Argentina, responded as a young kid at age 12. And he said for the very get-go, what was good news to him had to be good news for everyone. That was just, it was very simple to Luis. And he gave his life proclaiming the good news to anyone and everyone he encountered. He started preaching on the streets of Argentina as a teenager, started a radio show of 19 before he came to America. And over uh, his lifetime, his, the Luis Palau uh, Association has held 500 events in 80 nations. They've estimated that millions of people have responded to the good news through the preaching and the faithfulness of Luis. Uh, I got to be friends with Luis. I went fishing with him one time, which was just hilarious. And uh, it was a privilege. He just lit up every room that he was in. Uh, his son, Kevin, is, is one of my good friends. And Kevin has told me many stories about his dad. I got to, to go and be part of the memorial uh, recently. And uh, there was a mixture of crying and also lots of laughter because Luis was quite the character. And Kevin would tell us as a kid how embarrassing it was because every single person his dad would meet within five seconds, his dad's asking them really inappropriately personal questions. <laughs> and he would always get away with it, Kevin said. And he, just any strangers would open up to Luis. And before they knew it, they all had to sit down because Luis is sharing the good news because how could he not share the good news? Kevin told us one particular story. Luis was in the hospital for two weeks as as his body was failing and he was passing away at the end. And even though he was very, very weak and you can barely hear him uh, and only his wife, Pat, was allowed to visit him, Kevin heard through other doctors that he knew that Luis was sharing the good news with every person he encountered. Uh, One doctor said she came up outside of his room and there was a woman, a nurse that was weeping good tears. And she's like, are you all right? And she's like, yes. She's like, the man at 818, I just told him my whole life. And he told me about the love of Jesus and told me that he had to because he's going to be with Jesus soon and wanted me to be there with him. Uh, how beautiful is that? And, and at Luis, I interviewed him two years ago, and he shared with us at New Hope. And if he was here today, he would want you to know the good news. He, would, he, he, couldn't, he wouldn't be able to stop himself from telling you uh, the good news. The bad news is, again, to review, it's very simple. We're all going to die sooner rather than later. Life is a vapor. That's bad news. The good news is because of Jesus, and as we look to Jesus, we are one day closer to life. Yes, one day closer to death, but also because of Jesus, one day closer to life. That's incredibly good news. The scriptures warn us continually 
of entering final death, being separate from Jesus and separate from God. But the, also, the scriptures also continually invite us to look to Jesus for life, to place our trust in Jesus. And the biblical idea of trust is not just up in your head. It's just not assenting to something mentally. That's, that's not what it is. It's a full embodied experience. It's literally putting our lives in Jesus' hands. It's holding on to Jesus for dear life. I love this line. John tells us that Lazarus, the dead man, stumbled from the tomb and Jesus commanded and said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus transforms death into a doorway of life. Because of Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection, the inevitability of death becomes the inevitability of life. Death does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. My, uh, due to COVID restrictions, uh, Tiffany had to, had to have Mike's uh, memorial service with a very small group of friends and family, and yet she knew how many people loved Mike from really all over the nation, and so they, they live-streamed it. So I made sure to mark it in my calendar. I wanted to be there. I wanted to participate as, as much as I could. And uh, it was sad. I was sad as with any death, uh, any death at all, but certainly a death like Mike's. I was troubled. I, I have questions for God. It was, I was angsty. I, I was grieving with Tiffany and her children and the friends and family. I was missing Mike. And the camera uh, kind of, Tiffany was on the front row with her children and, and the stage, and there was kind of one camera, and we watched, and people were saying kind things. And I just kept on looking at Tiffany and praying for her. I couldn't imagine the weight that she was bearing and what she was going through. And then something incredible happened, now, totally unexpected. A worship leader got up on stage and began to sing uh, worship songs. And maybe that's adorable for you. It's probably adorable for me. I've done a lot of funerals now. But when you think of it, that's really audacious to sing worship music at a funeral, especially a story like this. There's one, a life well lived, you know, end of days, but a tragic story like this. And then I started to, to really watch Tiffany. Tiffany has, has a wonderful singing voice. I've heard her and Mike lead worship numerous times. I'm like, what is she thinking? And then something even more remarkable happened. It was very slow, slowly but surely, I saw Tiffany raise up her arms in praise. It was like they were weighted down, <laughs> like talking to her later. She was a mess. She had all kind of anger and doubts and questions for God, rightly so, appropriately so. But this was Tiffany's belief that death doesn't have the final word. This is Tiffany's belief, as she told me, that she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that all was well with Mike. All was not well with her and the kids, but all was well with Mike. Tiffany knew death did not have the final word. Tiffany knew that Jesus had the final word. We're all gonna die. That's the, that's the bad news. It's bad news, right? What's your plan? You're gonna go alone, gonna roll the dice, just see what happens, gonna wait for biohacking to come up with something to elongate the inevitability of death. What's your plan? My challenge to you today is to, to look to Jesus for life, to, to put your life in his hands, to hold on to Jesus for dear life. My challenge to you today is to look to the one who is the resurrection and the life to be your resurrection and life. Let's pray. And as we pray, uh, 
it's weird, me praying, you're watching on camera, all those dynamics, but uh, the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is between us right now. And I know for some of you, uh, this has been a, everybody's been a hard year. For some of you, it's been a horrific year. And some of you are just naturally just trying to do life apart from God. Uh, you're trying to, 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 to gut it through on your own, and that's your plan. And, and let's be frank, it's not working. And I want to challenge you today to just stop that and put your life in Jesus' hands. Look to the one who bore all the brokenness and all the messiness and all the death and broke it and is inviting us into life now, but certainly the life that is to come. And for some of you, you've never done that before. And it's as easy as just saying, yes, I want that. Yes, I look to Jesus for life. There really is no other hope. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Some of you have made that decision before, and frankly, you've gone another way. And, and the scriptures would, would call that the need to repent or to turn back to the only way that is worth traveling and to look back to Jesus once again for life. And I challenge you to do that and that we would do that as a community. That's our mission, to follow Jesus and share his love. And we've never needed to be more adamant and more committed to that mission because in Jesus is life and, and he is the resurrection and the life. There is no other way. Uh, so my encouragement is for all of us to turn our eyes today on Easter Sunday to the one who broke the power of sin and death, to the one who has transformed death into a doorway for life, the one that says death is not the final word, but that life is the final word. And that I want to invite you into that today. So I'm just going to give you a minute of silence just to, to use your own words and to say whatever you want to say to God uh, to, to enter that invitation and make that your own. God, thank you for this, this, this story that clearly shows that, that you, the incarnate God, have the power over death. Uh, you don't only have the power to raise the dead. You are the power to raise the dead. You are the life, and their life is found in no one else but you. Thank you that that is a free gift. We don't have to, to do anything to earn it. We don't have to clean ourselves up or perform in a certain way that it's an offer of grace. It's an offer of a God whose heart is broken and angered by death and has come to make all things right and to invite us into that life that can begin right now. Uh, thank you for Easter Sunday, God. Thank you uh, that because of Easter Sunday, there is always hope. And I pray that we would step into that hope today and make it our own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.